1: Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Chris Sparling. Hello. Hello. How okay. Are you? It's so good to see you. Okay, here's the deal. Yeah, here's the deal. Chris Sparling. It's Chris Sparling and this podcast. Chris goes back to 2012, um, mm. episode 263. That was the last time you were on the show, right?
0: Ah uh, yeah, in yeah. a in a different environment. Yeah.
1: Completely different environment. Yeah. We are now on episode 650 something, okay? Oh, wow. Yeah, I okay. know. You were last on episode 263, all right? Got it. And um in all this time, we've done only in-person podcasts,
0: mm-hmm. including
1: when you were in LA, okay? Yeah. That's um right. And this is going to be the first time that we've ever done it through Zoom or through any kind of remote viewing experience. Okay. <laughs> so I'm very excited that you're the first person and it makes complete sense because of how you have pursued your career over the years. Right. But before we get into that, I wanna let everybody know about Chris Sparling. Um the time that he was on in 2012, he was speaking about his 2010 film Buried, starring Ryan Reynolds, for which he won Best Original Screenplay from the National Board of Review of Motion Pictures. This is this movie is something that I I'm always telling my clients and students to watch, because it involves one man somewhat buried alive in a box mm-hmm. with a fall. <laughs> Go. That's the whole movie, and it is thrilling. It is really, really amazing. Now, since then, the Sea of Trees," which he wrote and produced starring Matthew McConaughey and Naomi Watts, and directed by Gus Van Sant, was nominated for the Palm d'Or at the 2015 Cannes Film Festival. Not too shabby, Chris, and was released by A24. Now, after adapting the novel Down a Dark Hall for Lionsgate Films and The Warning for Moreno Films, Chris is now adapting the Stephen King novel, The Talisman, for Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment, of which I am familiar. And his latest film, Mercy, which he wrote and directed for Netflix, was released in 2016. I'm in the middle of watching it right now. Don't tell me what happened. Oh, okay. okay. And Greenland, a thriller he wrote starring Gerard Butler, is slated for release in 2020. Yeah. Holy cats. That's a lot of work since I last talked to you in 2012.
0: Yeah. Oh, I think you're going to say, holy cow, like, it, what does it mean released in 2020? Because I was going to say, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that means anymore.
1: Yeah, 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 actually, maybe we should talk about that. So w- what what would be the best case scenario for you since everything seems to be on hold?
0: Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, I've been on both ends of it between my next directing project, which was supposed to be shooting basically like in like a month and a half. I was supposed to start shooting. That's on hold, I don't know, for, indefinitely for, at this point. Um, and then Greenland was, I think, originally slated to come out in june and that although it wasn't officially announced that was the case and then that's been pushed indefinitely too i don't know there might be a new uh tentative release date hopefully there is but i mean it's just kind of the world we're in at the moment
1: how do you feel about i mean there are some studios that are releasing things in the theaters and then doing sort of more of a pay-per-view experience Mm -hmm. so it's not exactly streaming like you just get it on netflix you pay like 20 bucks like uh yeah. the invisible man just did that for example
0: um do you yeah, think that's like mean, a good way to go i think it is for certain films i think with greenland it's a it's a big it's a big movie you know mm-hmm. so i mean i feel like it's not to say i don't think that's a viable way to do it but i think it's i just think it's if there's a chance and then obviously just frankly just uh, i would prefer to see it on a big screen and so i'm just me being greedy and wanting that um so yeah, I mean, we'll see. I honestly don't know. I'm not being coy, I just don't know what the release plan is now for tell- that or any movie, really.
1: Now tell me, tell me about Greenland. It, did you direct it as well?
0: No, I wrote Greenland. It was an original spec of mine. Uh, that uh, yeah, it kind of had an interesting life. First, it was it was a movie that Neil Blomkamp was attached to direct with Chris Evans starring in it. And then, as these things sometimes do, like just one thing led to another people's schedules conflicted and then so on and so forth. And kind of the wheels fell off the bus. And so it was actually really impressive to see what, with, uh, with Thunder Road and STX were able to do because kind of the way, you know, they were able to resurrect the project that I was kind of unsure was ever going to be resurrected. And they did. And they brought Rick Romanois on who had done Olympus had fallen, Olympus has fallen with Gerard Butler. And, the two of them really responded to the material. And so with their help, we were able to get the project up and running again. And so, yeah, that's, it's, uh it's, that's what, I mean, it's that all of that context adds to now like the weird kind of like, oh, and now there's no definitive release date for it after all of that happened. So.
1: Now, as you know, you are the king of suspense. I mean, I, Everything that you do has this wonderful slow burn, suspenseful qual- quality. You're so good at that.
0: Oh, thank you. And
1: here we are in lockdown, right? Yeah. We <laughs> we have this contained thriller setting that we're all in the middle of.
0: <laughs> hey, thriller How, life. Yeah.
1: yeah. Do do do? Does a movie a day come to mind for you?
0: No, and it's you know it's I've been. You know, I'll give you the kind of the cliff notes version of my experience so far with with you know this new semi normal, I guess. And so I was away with some buddies of mine. We do a kind of a guys trip every year. We go down to the Caribbean. A friend of ours owns a bar down there, so we go and go down there and just kind of party for like three or four days, five days. And we when you did it this year, we went down there, and kind of the day we arrived was when shit started to get. Can I, can I swear by the way?
1: uh everything's at the f word how about that
0: okay fine okay <laughs> stuff, I'll, say, I'll, I'll say stuff stuff got kind of crazy basically the day we arrived that was when you know oklahoma city put the players in quarantine flights were canceled so on and so forth so stuff started to happen really really fast while we were down there and you wouldn't know it there because it's not like st john is uh it's not a big it's part of the it's a u.s virgin island but it's 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 Two thirds of the island is in nature preserve. So it's very kind of remote, very just relaxing, chill sort of place. Um, empty beaches, no, you know. And, and so, anyway, it wasn't on people's radar, but naturally I'm getting the phone calls from my wife and so are my friends from their wives and everything else about what's going on here. And we just, at a certain point, we're like, this is just getting crazy fast. And so we just kind of pulled the rip cord and we left early. You know, we were supposed to stay for another, I think, two or three days and we ended up leaving early. And I felt like, you know, I didn't want to get stuck down there. I had no idea. I knew flights were being, you know, being, uh, you know, prevented from coming in from certain places. And I was like, God, I don't know. This might be next. I felt like I was in the last scene in Argo, where they're just like dying to get off the ground in the plane. And I was like, <laughs> I, I was the same way. I'm like, you can't get off this island. <laughs> and uh, and so, long story short, I came home. Ended up going, even though I wasn't in any way, um, in a quote unquote hot zone at that point. Uh, I ended up just self-quarantining for 14 days uh, because to come home, my wife is immunocompromised. So I was like, you know what? I was on a plane. I was at airports. Maybe it's just a safe bet. So I did that. So that's long story short. I was in in a hotel for 14 days. Thankfully, I was totally fine. Still am. Uh, now I'm home. But m- what I'm getting at is with all of that time and being in a hotel, and all, I, I I had no. New story ideas. I had no ambition. <laughs> I had none of it. It all went out the window. It was like the opposite. You'd think, "Hey, this is like a writer's paradise, right? Like, just you have all this time to yourself and you know, no distractions and everything else." And I didn't get anything done. <laughs> Nothing. So
1: I, you know, I think a lot of people are going through that right now. because yeah. I am getting a lot of people going. I'm, I'm beating myself up. All I've wanted is time to write, and now I can't focus. And yeah. I just can't concentrate and I have to cancel or I can't be there or something like that, you know, as far as deadlines they've made with me or whatever. And mm-hmm. and I get it. It is it there is something about when you have all this time, but there's all this worry sort of shadowing it, you know? Yeah. Um h- however, that said, I'm like, what I'm hearing is you managed to get yourself 14 days in a hotel. Sweet. Sweet. right
0: <laughs> oh, there was i
1: that. wish i thought of that
0: yeah <laughs> it it's the kind of thing i mean you you were talking at the outset about how it's interesting that i'm your first zoom guest because I, I did still have work to do you know even though the writing wasn't coming very easily i still had meetings to do and everything else and by this point people had started to transition into zoom meetings and and for me this i live in rhode island i've i've lived here almost all my life you know and and so this is my jam, you know, like just, I, I, to me, this is so the n- normal to just do Skype calls and in, in teleconference and whatever else.
1: Yes. That's exactly why it was perfect to have you as the first zoom guest. So just to fill you guys in all this stuff that I just mentioned, all of these credits, writing, directing, you know, huge actors, huge studios. Chris Sparling has managed his entire career from his home in Rhode Island. And that is amazing, and you never—I mean, it was just not your jam to come out to LA right. and be like, "Yeah, no, I'm I'm here." This was always just it—it—it it, it was a no-brainer for you, right?
0: Yeah. To be fair, I did—I lived in LA for two years, but that was like another life, really, mm-hmm. because that's when I was an actor. Like that was when I was out there trying to do that. So, as a writer, I've never lived in LA ever. Uh, I've never. I, I, you know, knock on wood, I've never had to either. So, and I'm kind of at the place in my career now, thankfully, where, you know, unless it's a, unless it's a very, I've been out there for project specific things. And I don't mean just visiting, like I did a movie that I directed that I was, I had to be in LA for six months, mm-hmm. but, you know, but that's not, to me, that's just because of, because of the movie. I mean, that, that I lived there for it's, six it's months. It's a work
1: it was, trip. It's a a work, tri- work trip.
0: Yeah, exactly. But the, so, I mean, I think what people are finding now, if maybe they didn't realize it then is that the technology is there. It's like, I mean, half the time I'm talking to people, they don't even know, not that I'm keeping it secret because it doesn't matter, but I don't think they even know. I'm not just around the corner in LA. Mm-hmm. They just right. assume. And, and so again, not, again, not like I'm like, Oh shit, I shouldn't let them know. I am mean, it doesn't yeah. make a damn bit of difference. And that's I, what I'm saying is I think people are seeing that now with this, where, you know, people are saying, well, we actually still can do the work some of the work that we need to get done just remotely we don't have to drive across town and get stuck in traffic and and whatever else i mean and that is for as someone that lives outside of la um you know being so accustomed to this i mean that's the other trade off is that you have to be for people listening who are in a similar boat or wish to be they you know that's just the trade off that you just have to be willing to get out there from time to time
1: so But, you know, what's great about that is it's on somebody else's dime. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, not always. I mean, truth be told, not always. I mean, sometimes I just need to get out there and kind of just do some FaceTime that just that's if there's any pros and cons, certainly about not being out there. The con, I would say, is that you are out of sight, out of mind, you know, and that's and honestly, that is I would say that's just human nature. I mean, that's just people have so much going on in their lives if you're not bumping into people at parties, if you're not seeing people at the grocery store, I'm saying beyond the typical just work stuff. When you live in LA, you kind of, you run similar, you know, you kind of, you're, you're following similar, you're in similar circles generally, and you you kind of cross paths and everything else in other ways. Because I don't have that, it's important for me, I feel, to, to remind people right. beyond my work. Me personally, just get some FaceTime. Let's go grab lunch. I haven't seen you in a while. And that requires me sometimes just, paying for paying for a plane ticket in a hotel and just going out there for a week or two
1: and just being like hey I'm here let's let's get together. yeah right yeah so so let's talk about the fact that it has been 10 years of you working remotely of course mm-hmm. things have have technology has greatly improved over those 10 years but yeah. some tips for people who are now trying to have meetings remotely and do their work remotely and, and all that. As somebody who is now a pro at it, are Mm -hmm. are there any tips that you can give people who are new to it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because there is, as you're probably finding and some of your clients and people listening are probably finding if they're doing meetings, is that there is a sense of, okay, this is is a business call. This is a business meeting. However, we can't be cute here and pretend we're not in our houses. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and not like, and so like there is because of that. Well, you know, we, we're fortunate enough in this business; it's kind of a very casual business anyway. Right. Um, but it kind of brings the 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 level of casualness down a little bit, even further mm-hmm. because of that. Because of, um, and so I think you're you're allowed to kind of I don't want to say lean into it too much. Like I don't think you should show up looking like a slob, even on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, um, but I think. You know, even even just in a, just a very very practical way, I think if you showed up and you had a hat on, I I, I personally wouldn't show up to a meeting in person with a hat on. Not that <laughs> I think it's anything wrong if you do. I just wouldn't go to a meeting. I don't know. I just feel like I'd feel weird about that. I feel like that's a little too familiar. Mm-hmm. if I was meeting with someone I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Versus, I don't know. I feel like over this medium, it's okay. Because <laughs> You're kind of like <laughs> I'm inviting you into my home. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: It's I have a baseball a, hat on. Sorry about that, but I'm um, you know it's yeah. it's here it's this is part of my environment and i would imagine too that when we're so interested in how writers personally connect to their material that there's a story that's told in the background right now like yeah, i'm looking at a movie absolutely. poster to your yeah. left you know and in the back uh, these are yeah. these are both movies that you've done right
0: yeah these are my i'm very snobby i only hang up my movies <laughs>
1: <laughs> you've got a guitar there <laughs> you I know do. so I there's hardly play yeah so all these things that people are sort of seeking for small talk connections in an executive's office yeah. right? you immediately can cut the fat of that i would imagine there's some like oh wow do you play that kind of stuff right that you can right. jump into just from yeah, environment absolutely.
0: because you do that right especially like when you're doing when you're just when you're starting out and you're doing the general meeting tours and everything else and you're kind of it's just, it's almost just as awkward for you as it is for the exec, you know, because it's like, you're both trying to make small talk and you want, you know, it always starts off with just getting to know you phase. And, you know, part of what you're doing is you know, kind of looking around the office furtively and noticing things like you're saying, he's like, Oh, you know, and, and I think people decorate their office to some degree, you know, you see, you get a glimpse of what their interests are beyond. And in this environment, like you said, you're seeing, you're seeing stuff about my life and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. And, uh, just the other day, I was on a zoom call with some people and and I noticed one of the guys I was talking to had an electric drum kit like I could see like the the symbol kind of poking into the frame <laughs> and but like and that to me is is kind of cool and and so anyway so I think that's you know I think what i 'm saying from that is that it kind of it allows a little more of a casual aspect to your conversation and hopefully makes it helpful to get past the initial awkwardness of small talk but as far as like i guess tips. Um, you know, you, you do have a benefit by doing this because I'm looking at you right now, we're zooming, I'm seeing your face or whatever else. If I were pitching, I could still be looking at you as far as you know. Right. But in reality, I could be looking at all the stuff I've written on the page. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, it's, in, in a room if you're doing that I mean naturally I think if you're going in and you're pitching something you should be pretty well versed in what you're talking about anyways that you shouldn't be just buried in the page and, and reading to someone but in a way you can if you can perform it reasonably well I think you can get away with it in this sense because it looks like I'm staring right at you uh, so there's there's that the bad version naturally is distractions mm-hmm. I mean and some of that is unavoidable and and in this day and age I think a lot of it is forgivable right right um, I had a I had a Skype call years ago. It's so long ago, I might have actually mentioned it. I don't know. I might have mentioned it in the last time we did the podcast uh, And because it was the bad version of, of all this. I was Skyping with people I didn't know. So there, there wasn't even like this familiar, hey, we're just bullshitting. We know each other and this yeah. is okay. Things go wrong. It's totally brand new people. And I remember my wife's cat snuck into the room that I was in and I saw it walk in. I kind of like looked off screen saw and i was like all right well big deal so it and it was kind of on the bed or whatever else and so all of a sudden i'm talking i'm talking and the cat all of a sudden is going Ugh! <laughs> Ugh! and i'm going oh my god and in my head i'm thinking oh my god oh my god but i'm thinking or right, maybe they don't hear it all right so i kept talking and then, then 30 seconds later Ugh! And, then, <laughs> and so then finally there's dead silence and they're like um what's that? It's what? <laughs> like, it's just my cat. I'm sorry. It's my like,
1: cat throwing up.
0: Sorry. It's yeah. So I mean, like it's, there is, a, as I was saying before, like you kind of can lower your guard a little bit, but at the same time, naturally there's still a level of professionalism you should stick to. Like maybe cat's not throwing up and whatever else.
1: I have a I have a very practical question. Now you mentioned sure. the the idea that you know what, there's if you do it well, you can cheat a tiny bit when you're pitching where you can't yeah. in office, right? In terms of placing your notes in a certain way that look makes it look like you're talking to somebody. Now people have, have you know, there was a time when I was uh, reviewing AFM um, video pitches. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was so frustrating because so many people were very good at that. And then they got on stage in front of 500 people and just blew it because they hadn't memorized it. That said, I was like, bravo for fooling me. So how, where should you place those notes so that it looks like you're talking to somebody, but that you can read at the same time. Like what it, well, you put it right thing. on the computer screen and do a share. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, because I because I'm just I yeah, it would just be front and center. Like I'm looking at you right now. I could instead be looking at the pages. Um so yeah, that's pretty common. I've done I and mean, that's what I'm saying. These are all things that to me, not like that. I'm giving some masterful tip here by saying read your pages. Is it's kind of it's just, but you can do it. It's just something that you can, you can do with in this sort of medium, whereas you probably couldn't or shouldn't in the room just be reading off a page. Um, you know, again, this is all kind of just second nature for me. It's one little thing I do, and this is not a tip. This is just a weird thing I do a lot of times where I'm, <laughs> I'm giving away my little secret here. Like a lot of times if I'm getting on Skype or whatever else for video chat, I'll get on but I'll purposely keep my camera off for like five to 10 seconds. Oh, right. It's a real dick move, but I do it. It's because (laughs) only because like, if you're meeting someone for the first time, it's, there's the, the the, the initial thing of like, you're seeing you, if you don't know them, you're seeing what they look like and they're seeing what you look like. But for some reason, I don't want to do that at the same time. Like I want to be like, see who you are. Okay. I'm getting a sense of I'm looking at you. And now I'm talking to you. Oh Again, God. people listen to this, but they're like, oh, that son of a bitch did that to me. So and he so was all like, acting like... They could be
1: oh. talking about you like, uh, like, God, I got to meet with this a-hole, right? And you're you're getting a little... No, uh, no, no.
0: <laughs> no, no. I mean, I mean like, I'm, I would keep the audio on and I'd say like, oh, hold on a second. I um, Can't get the video up. Hold on one second. Ah! <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I'm <laughs> just like waiting, so just kind of getting myself situated, ready to do it. Just be like, okay. You know, let me get one last look, make sure my hair looks okay. And then... All right, cool. Oh, oh, there it is. I did. Oh, my bad.
1: You're, <laughs> you're awful, and I'm going to steal that. I like that very much. Okay. Like last looks. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. you use the technology. That's um, right. Uh, one last thing about about working this way, and then we're going to get into, you know, what you really do, which is the work.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but uh, do you have any any way that you organize your work and meeting time to keep up on an industry level, um, mm-hmm. while also being able to work at home? Like, cause I mean, being there thing, times could, time could go by and you wouldn't realize yeah. like, Oh, I haven't had a meeting or whatever. Like, how do you make sure you stay engaged?
0: Working? Well, this is, this is how this has been different for me is that, you know, quote unquote, working from home for me isn't usually the case because mm-hmm. I tend to not actually work from home because, I like to be around people. So I will normally go to like a coffee shop or whatever else and work. So working from home now every day is a bit different because, and then now add the distractions of, and I mean that in a good way of having my family here because no one's in school. And um, so there's, there's all of that, you know, even looking out the window and seeing, you know, my wife and kids playing in the backyard. Now it's kind of like, do I really feel like working right now mm-hmm. instead of just playing with them? Um, there's, there are a couple things that play, Again, this is part of a living outside of LA thing too, is that I'm on a different time zone naturally than you are. So there's kind of there's I'll I'll fully answer the question in a second. So obviously things don't really the earliest phone calls I'm getting are around noon, Mm -hmm. my time. You know, so around nine, or maybe a little earlier slightly, but that's about it. So like I can be I could get quite a bit of writing work done before that stuff starts happening. So I'm plotting out my day. I you know, I'll generally know you know, if I'm having calls, they're they're probably going to be later in the day. So, and then from a, from a, I don't know, uh, I think from a practical standpoint about like getting work done, I found a little, again, I'm going to call it a tip or a trick. I don't know. Something that works for me is to immediately get to work. Even even it, Ideally, if you're working from home, you can do this. But even if you're not, just go to where you're going. Don't listen, especially now, don't listen to the news or, you know, watch the news. Don't, Read anything, really. I mean, honestly, you don't even talk to anybody if you can. Just immediately sit down and start working, and and pl- plug for two hours. You you have to, you have to work for two hours before you can stop. Before you can check Twitter, before you can check your email, before you can do anything. Check how awful the world is for that day. You know all these things, um, and. I don't know. I don't know why it works. It's not something I really came up with, as much as I've heard, you know, people that kind of study that sort of stuff say it's an effective strategy. Uh, I would imagine it's something to do with if the goal is output, you don't want to start with an immediate influx of input.
1: Makes sense. And
0: I used to be the exact opposite way. I used to to think of like, oh, if I, you know, again, no science behind what I'm about to say, but just me being stupid. Like I used to think, oh, you know, I want to kind of prep my mind. You know, I want to like. Get you know, check out this and read some news stories. I don't mean recently; I mean whatever. Just like do this, do that, write some emails, and then because that'll get me warmed up for writing. But in reality, all it ever did was just just suck up an enormous amount of time and then distract me. And then my mind was like all over the place. And because now I'm thinking about the story I read, or or the email, or the text from my mother that pissed me off, or or I thought was great, whatever it was. But now all of these things that are now floating around your head and just there's something interesting about having that blank slate and, and utilizing it purely, um, you know, pure for the, for the sake of output and it seems effective. So.
1: I like that tip. I like that a lot. Okay. Let's talk about the stuff that you've written. So it's been, you know, there was Barry, there was the guy Mm -hmm. in the box. I'm telling you, brilliant. I still don't know how you did it. I think my question to you was, how did you do that? But anyway, it's a just, wow. There have been movies with actual people, other people in them since.
0: Yes, um, yes.
1: What has been, you know, some some things that you've learned or has changed your mind about writing or, um, I mean, a 10-year journey? Hit me with, mm-hmm. with something that has changed for you since the last time we talked or it's something you've learned about.
0: Well, I, yeah, for sure it has to do with what you said about starting off with a movie like that because... I can, I can say pretty confidently that looking back, it's not bad at all. In fact, I think it's probably good to it's have, to have a, a niche of some kind or niche, however you say that word, <laughs> um, because let's just say you're in a certain talent pool at a certain point in your career, and you are one of many small fish when you're first breaking in, right? And you're really, really trying and swimming as fast as you can, and there's so many of you out there. Um, but you've made it into this this pool, which is kind of great in its own, right right um but by you know by having a thing that you're known for in my case, it was being the contained thriller guy after mm-hmm. buried and then like a t m and something else i kinda it was good because you know you get considered for the other stuff that gets thrown in the pool right and you're not but you are kind of the first guy or girl that gets think thought of thought thinks about thought about are for these for that niche. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it's it, I mean, it's not much different than the broader version of it is like, oh, if you write romantic comedies, like you're gonna kind of things are divvied up by that, by genre. But if you can get even more specific, I think it's a I think it is a benefit uh more so than a detriment. And for that reason, because you have these very specific opportunities that come your way. Now, having said that, what I've also learned and I thankfully this is part of the change i can look back on it and say has happened thankfully is it does at a certain point become a bit of an albatross it does become there is a detriment to it and that is you become known only for that you know and it's and and it becomes limiting as opposed to creating opportunities so there was a period in my career post buried post whatever else where i was just You know, I was kind of like, wait, you know, my peer group, if you will, like my kind of feel like you always have this graduating class of people that you come up with, whether you know that directly or indirectly, you kind of see you're all growing at the same time. And I would see my peer groups getting these people in my peer groups getting these other opportunities that I wasn't getting. And naturally, I was very happy for them. It's not a jealousy thing, but more like, why am I not getting that? Why am I not go up for that job? Or why am I not this? And in, in a lot of it was to do with like how you're viewed in the marketplace. And I was just viewed as, Oh yeah, Chris writes a lot of character driven kind of contained small movies. You know, we just didn't think of him for X large project. And I mean, that's by no means a complaint because I was very fortunate and I still feel fortunate to have made a career during that time and made movies and got movies made. And, um, but at, the, at a certain point, I had to break—no pun intended—break out of that box because I just felt like I was reaching a plateau in my career pretty early. So, so what I what I did was I did write *The Sea of Trees*, uh, even though, again, not a very big movie, but bigger, you know, at least certainly more people on screen than one person. Um, and that kind of started things in that regard for me. But it's, I mean, frankly, I'm still—I'm to this day—I still battle it. I still battle. I mean, I've done, I mean, Greenland is a big movie. Uh, and that's and that's partly why I'd love for it to get out into the world, you know, among other reasons, is that it's more of an example of of me being able to write on that scale too, if if, you know, if I have the opportunity to. So I think you're always you're always proving yourself. I think there's, you know, you're always trying to stay relevant. Uh, there are always obstacles to that because there are always great and unique and talented people that are cropping up. And this is a very flavor of the moment sort of industry we're in. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all stuff I've learned. And I'm sorry for being so long winded. The other thing was specific to my unique circumstance or semi unique about not being in LA is that I write, I write at least one, if not two specs a year. And that's not because I don't live in LA, but the reason, is maybe unique it's i mean i I'm, I'm fairly well established by this point um but i still feel because i'm not there i almost it's i write a spec obviously in hopes of it getting made but also it's like a billboard for me i look at it this way like i if i owned a business let's say i owned a, a car repair shop like i would spend my money you know part of what I'd spend is advertising. I put a big billboard on Main Street that says, come to Chris's repair shop, I'm open for business. And that's kind of, in a big way, what specs are for me. You know, it's like, there's the the loftier goal of making the movie and selling the scripts. But there's also that it's just serving that function for me of reminding people that I'm in business because they may not have heard from me. I might have been working on an assignment or two or three, if I'm lucky, whatever it is. But out of sight, out of mind. Off here, you know, in my little silo in Rhode Island, with my head down in my laptop working. But that—that's how you fall off people's radars. And at the same time, it's great to, and I'm fortunate to be working. But again, you're not front center. So. so, so you want
1: to say, "Hey, look, I have this original piece of content. Yeah, yeah. and uh, hey, I've been. Would you like to read it first? How about how about it? And right. of course, I'm going to be like, yes. They want something mm-hmm. fresh and new. Um. So when you've got your two hours and and when you wake up doing your two hours and mm-hmm. you're breaking story on something brand new, what, what is your process?
0: Uh, of, of actually writing the script or. Yeah. You've got a new,
1: a new idea in your head of actually mm. writing the st- script. Do you start with outline?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, people are like magicians to me, people that can do it without an outline, uh, they're just super talented in that way. I'm not, I'm not that talented or that magical, I guess, because I need, yeah, I need a pretty specific outline. I I start with, you know, I'll know the, you know, if I think I know the beginning and maybe the end of the movie, I'll start writing something down just in paragraph form. So maybe two or three pages, four pages, write out just act one, act two, act three. Maybe I know what the midpoint is, but by that point I would. Um, so figuring out the movie. And at that point, if I look at it and say, all right, this is the movie in very broad terms, I'll be like, is, do I want to put my time into this? Mm-hmm. Yes or no. Cause is this worthwhile? And naturally, Nash- excuse me, naturally Nash- I'll share that with my reps or whatever else and see what they think. And then, um, and if, if we all agree and then I'll, then I'll start creating character outlines, you know, bios for the characters. And I don't go too, too crazy with that. I think it's important to know who the people are and put some meat on the bone and flesh on the bone and, Uh, that sort of stuff. So I'll do that. And then usually I'll do a beat sheet again, just very broad, but more specific than say the, the the outline I first created or the synopsis. And uh, yeah, and that gets pretty specific after that. And then, then I'll do a step outline, just every single scene of the movie with slug lines. And by that point, by the time I've done that, I'll usually, I'll usually actually write that in final draft or whatever screenwriting software I'm using. And and so by the time I finish that, I have like 20 pages, which is pretty, I mean, it's just even from a psychological standpoint, it's just encouraging to know like, oh, I've already <laughs> written 20 pages of this thing. This is easy. Hey, look at that movie. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty much all people to do now is talk and I have a movie.
1: <laughs> okay. So going back to the contained thriller guy, because yeah. yes, you do so many other things as well, but there's a reason that, that you, you know became the contained thriller guy and they are mm-hmm. really hard to do, okay? And if you've got a thriller and like you said you know your ending, right? Mm-hmm. How any tips for cleverly getting to that ending, right? Because it's all about the twists and turns that get yep. you to to that final answer.
0: Yeah, and I I'm probably going to step on so many smart and insightful things you've said over the years about this sort of stuff so i apologize to people listening <laughs> um, there has been nothing
1: probably... smart and insightful in these 10 years since you've been on the <laughs> don't don't even worry about
0: it it's fine it's cool uh well i'll give you my blunt instrument uh version of that sort of stuff the um yeah i mean i think it's very much about setups and payoffs the more you can do that the better off you are even if I mean, sometimes it's impossible to do it with everything, Mm -hmm. but the closer you can get to everything paying off, you can, if you can bring back characters that you thought were truly throwaway characters, if you can bring that, like, that's the stuff that goes a long way, even, and it doesn't have to pay off not everything has to pay off in this fantastic way. Not everything has to be the crane kick from Karate Kid, you know, it's, it's the small things paying off in addition to the larger things paying off, it just all feels so much richer and so much meaningful in, in a way just makes it a much, uh, much richer experience. And, and, and by the same token, I think it, the opposite would be getting rid of stuff, not to say getting rid of stuff. If you can't pay it off, I'm not saying that um, I'm saying just, just to really look at what you have in there, the mater- what's in the material and say, what is actually necessary to telling the story? What is, you know, and it's, it's stuff people have heard about combining characters and stuff like that, but also it's, it's kind of, it's even on a granular level, it's like what you're writing and the details you're including about when you're, when you're say setting up a scene, you know, finding the way in finding a way to describe a room that you're in, in a way that's interesting to read, but doesn't get into details that just really have no bearing, but, but still provide that, 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 that texture to what's going on and, and what the character looks like. And and it is a balance. I mean you, you learn the balance, but it, it is a balance because you don't want things to seem flat and one dimensional and just in the case of a room, like you don't want to, well what's the room? What is it like? Or you meet a person, well what do you mean they're just they're tall? What mm-hmm. is what does that just mean? And is that it? That's all that person is. But at the same time you you don't want to completely overload the person reading the script with details that in their mind they're cataloging. Because they don't know at that point what is stuff they're supposed to remember and what is insignificant that they can kind of jettison. Um, and so at a certain point, you lose the important details. Uh, well, they do. Uh, so, I mean, it's all those things. And then, and the other thing I would say is, this is something I've certainly learned maybe in the last few years, more so and it took me a long time to, to do this, to learn this, is finding a way to write, so we're writing efficiently, we're writing economically, that's just the nature of the beast of what we do. But at the same time, not making it read, to, to try to make it, uh, I mean, not flowery, but literary. You know, mm-hmm. making it so that it's it, this is actually something interesting to read. That it's not just like, I'm, okay, I can see the structures there, and I can see, it can visualize, this person's telling me how, to, how this could be a, a really fun movie to watch. An experience as a movie, but man, is the screenplay boring to read. Right. And that is something in the last few years, I've really kind of done a lot of work on in my own craft where I've like, all right, how can I, how can I be just a better writer in addition to be a better screener? How can I make the combine those two so that when the person is reading my scripts or people are reading my scripts, it's like, yeah, I actually enjoyed the, the read a lot. Even if, even if the ultimate takeaway, I mean, naturally you want them to more than anything, like the screenplay for what it can become. But even in instances where like, oh, maybe it wasn't setting the world on fire. You know, the takeaway is that at least people are like, really well written, like and not in the condescending pat your head, like I have to say something nice. So maybe I'll just say it was nice written, well written. Um, I think it goes a long way because, you know, and I and I wish if there's anything I could have told myself earlier on in my career is that among other things, probably, because that, especially when you're just, you're just starting out, Is that's, you know, that's when you're a lot of times your stuff being read by assistants and whatever else. And those are the people that unfortunately not being paid enough. And they're being sent home to read like God knows how many scripts over a weekend. And if, if you can at least provide them with an enjoyable experience in the read itself, then I think just I think it just leaves someone with a feeling of of appreciation, if nothing else.
1: I absolutely agree. And it, it's it's interesting. You hit on so many points. The first, just backing up to like the thriller element of it. And you said, well, you want to pay off the things you've set up. Mm-hmm. But for that reason, it's another reason not to overload the details because all those details will matter because they may all pay off in some kind of way. So you have to point the eye toward those things that, so that when you pay them off, you go, oh, wait, I remember that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're set decorating, then you, the eye is going to the tables and the chairs and the wallpaper and the – right, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to one element of it that you pay off later on. And that second thing that you said about, about trying to give some personality, some feel, some literary quality to the writing – for something you don't want to just point to like specific objects in a room, you could do the personality of that room, right? Mm-hmm. And then when mm-hmm. you're describing the personality of a room, it also gives it a literary quality. So it's, a, it's an interesting read. It describes things without getting too technical, right? Yeah. And then if you also mention one particular object within the personality of that room, later on that, that object may pay off.
0: May, may, exactly. And, you know, I, I kind of just in hearing you say all that, I realized I veered quite a bit from your initial question about... It's my job about, as a teacher. I can, can I
1: get it no, back. Thank, yeah, please
0: bring it. Thank you. For, yeah, Because your question was actually about what makes a good thriller, really. Um, I kind of started answering that and then went in a totally different direction. Um, but getting back to where I started. Uh, yeah, I mean, set us some payoffs, but also we love mysteries. I mean that's I think what makes a great thriller too is the, is obviously not letting the audience get ahead of your characters, but constantly just and and you know I guess cliffhangers are maybe that's not the exact way to describe it but things that are constantly getting the person to want to know what's happening next as opposed to providing leaving leaving things leaving stones unturned you know where it's like you gave them just you gave them just enough you didn't give them everything. And and then when you do that, your kind of one scene naturally progresses into the next, into the next. But you're building a mystery in the process. And by, when you're doing that, I think you're you, the audience starting to trust you as a reliable narrator, where they know they think they could, they should and could follow you on the path you're taking them on. And then as a result, when you kind of then turn things on on their ear, the audience a doesn't feel like it's just like a cheap move. Like mm-hmm. it didn't feel you know it, it felt earned, and also it kind of they talking about appreciating things, they appreciate the twist. they appreciate like they they don't feel like they didn't feel like they, it just uh it was it was um a stunt, right you know and and that's I think that's part of it too with, with thrillers. I think you have to always keep the audience guessing, you have to keep you have to keep building that mystery. you have to you know as many times as you can direct them and misdirect them in a way that doesn't feel forced. That's good. Um, set up some payoffs, and then tension. That's just that's the the biggest tension and conflict and stakes. That's that's everything. It doesn't matter, in my opinion. Uh, maybe maybe not tension in everything, but certainly conflicts and stakes. It doesn't matter if it's thrillers or whatever. That's You're what right. I've
1: noticed a little bit about your style is that yes, you know there are going to be these cliffhangers and there's going to be these exciting twists and all this stuff. But the way that it seems that you keep the tension going is all through the character moments. So. Mm-hmm they may be talking about something that has nothing really to do with the big A story twists and turns. But there are issues that are going on between each other. Mm -hmm. And the tension about that lends itself to tension about the big twist. So you're listening. You're really hanging on to every word that they say to understand how do they feel about each other. Would that motivate them to do certain things? But also that means that you're really listening to the backstory issues that they have, the themes that you're exploring. It's really I like, that's what I've noticed mm-hmm. is you love just spending time with just character moments and just letting everybody kind of like, like wriggle for a while going, Oh
0: my gosh, you know, what's going on yeah. with these people? Well, I feel like that's where the stakes come from mm-hmm. really, because if you don't, If you can't, if this stuff doesn't resonate, if you can't relate, if you, if you don't give a crap about these people, really nothing's on the line because there, you know, that's, I kind of, you know, having done horror and horror thriller, in addition to just say like straight thriller movies, I feel like that's one of the, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to write a horror movie, but it's at the same time, there is one element of a horror movie. That's a, that's a cheat narratively in a way. And that is you're literally dealing with life or death stakes in just about every horror movie, just about. And because of that, as, as long as you care about the characters, that's that's the, the crucial element there is that because the stakes are already life and death, you know versus a romance in, in some movies, it's really hard to develop worthwhile and meaningful stakes because if the audience is going yeah well, so what? So what if you don't win that race? I know you want to. But like, what if you don't? It doesn't seem like that big of a deal if you don't win that race, or if you don't get that guy or that girl. Like, you're super good looking; you could probably get a bunch of other girls. You know, it's not it doesn't seem like a big deal. Um, so like, and vice versa, you know. So like, it, it, if but there has to be a reason why it has to be that specific guy that this this woman wants, or this, this specific woman that this guy like why her or why him? Why and so it's a real challenge. I mean, and I give people people that write in that in those genres, a lot of credit for being able to build meaningful stakes in those sort of environments, because not to say it's easy, but when you are operating in life or death, it's, all right, we get it. If this person doesn't outrun Jason, Jason's going (laughs) to cut their head off. Right. And then you get it. It's like, okay, so they have to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you don't care about these people, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying where the, you know, the the relationship aspects of it and the, the, the grounded aspects if you don't care about that, the stakes, even at, even at life or death, don't feel all that significant because you don't really care. So I guess they're not significant. <laughs> You're kind of like, it's a movie. I don't care. They live or died. I don't care about these people. Uh, and, I mean, we've all, and and again, you, you live and you learn. I've certainly, I've certainly written and created stuff where, you know, I, I can look back on and you know, being honest from like, yeah, that, that was the failure of that project. Like I didn't, There was nothing between those characters. There was nothing, you know, and that's uh, like, you didn't care. You didn't care. The relationship felt false and forced or whatever else or phoned in. Uh, It was like paint by numbers. And then the opposite is true of certain projects of mine and and obviously much better movies than movies I've done where you look and go, yeah, that's why it worked. Just, it's so good because man, did you care about these people?
1: And the nuances of those, that ranges, you know, sometimes, you know, writers get that note and then they write in this big backstory about them and Mm -hmm. now you'll care because they're in pain. And it's like, no, I, I personally, I care when I watch choices being made in the moment, you know, Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll get to know a character just in terms of like how they're petting their cat or feeding their kid or, you know, conducting their work. Right. That Mm -hmm. makes us care is sort of like, not because they do it in a, oh, they're just doing it in a noble way, is just that, oh, they have a life. They're yeah. they're interesting. Um, you're, you're kind of just observing them, and mm-hmm. that makes us suddenly feel like we know them. So it doesn't have to always be like we like them or they're yeah. in pain. It's just that to spend a little time servicing those characters so right. that when there's a life and death thing, we go like, no, that's a real person that's about to be killed. Yeah. It's not just a caricature.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't feel like this is just, just movie guy or mm-hmm. movie woman, right? That's doing movie person stuff. They feel like real people. That's what I'm saying. That I think if it can resonate with you, even, and you're right, it doesn't have to be uh, born out of some elaborate. Let me tell you my backstory. Let me <laughs> let me tell you about like how I grew up, and let me do this. Or like you said, I think, I mean, it's not to say you shouldn't do that stuff ever. I mean, none, none of this stuff is hard and fast. There's a place for. In certain circumstances but you're right i think it doesn't have to be anything elaborate as much as as long as it feels like we are we are connected to these to these people in in some way that we could relate to them um, emotionally intellectually probably more so emotionally um yeah i mean that but that's it's i don't it's such an interesting writing form screenwriting it really really is and and I sometimes toy with the idea of trying to write a novel as I'm sure there are plenty of novelists that really toy with the idea of writing a screenplay. And the times that I've kind of stopped and given it more than a second <laughs> of thought, I'm like, man, that seems so hard. That just seems so hard because I've, I've been doing this for 20 years. You know, I've been doing this as my career for 10, but I've been doing it for 20. And I've kind of just trained myself like other screenwriters is kind of like This is the, the, the format, like not, I mean, like on the page format. I mean, like this is the, this is how you, this is screenwriting. And it's, it's just, you find over time, you find ways to employ these, not techniques, but the things we're talking about, these strategies, these, because you have to fit it all into this little 120 page box, right? It's just like you have to do all the things we're talking about. And it's not a one size fits all either in that 120 page box because sometimes you have a massive, massive movie with all these storylines and all these characters and all these and you have to do all the things we're talking about servicing all of them or at least the majority of them in a way that none of them just feel like the movie guy and the movie woman doing the things like and so um, and that's not me saying and I and so I'm so great because I can do it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying (laughs) it's still that's it's it's always a challenge every time for everybody and for me for the next person and it's it's just i think if if there's anything experiences experience teaches you is like you you start to just accept yeah that's the program like that's that's what it entails so, all right i know what all right it's it's this project all right well i have to figure out a way <laughs> somehow i guess to fit it in this particular thing um doesn't mean I'm going to be successful at it, though, but you know that's the that's the drill.
1: Well, so far, you've been pretty successful. Chris, I'm really, yeah. really... First of all, it was... I, I had in my head, like, oh, I've got to do some Zoom podcasts. And then, bing, into my inbox came a letter from Chris Sparling going, yeah. hey, I'm bored. You want to do a podcast? And I was like, this is great. What else can I think up that will just come into my inbox? You were such a gift to get in touch with me and this has been an awesome podcast thank you so much chris I thank really, you really really appreciate thank you.
0: it it's so good to see you and talk to you i guess yeah to see you too yeah uh, yeah and talk to you
1: and uh and if you're gonna point people to check, check out your work or look for stuff should they mm-hmm. keep an eye out for greenland for whenever yes. it does come out
0: uh, yes, I mean, let's. It's more. It's more a statement on on what will come of our world in the next few months, more th- than the movie industry, I think. But let's let's cross our fingers that everyone's going to be as safe as possible, and then the movie industry will come back, and and with it, Greenland in 2020.
1: That would be wonderful. And is there yes. anything else do you like to stay in touch with via Twitter or anything like that?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, on, I'm at Chris Barling. Uh, I've actually been off Twitter. For the past week, I've done social media distancing. Good for you. Um, just because it's become, it's just become too much. Uh, too much, just crazy. I, just, I can't, I can't do it. So you if you, I, I, so well, that too. But yeah, in general, it's just, I, so if anyone listening wants to reach out, please do. But know that I'm not checking much at all. But so I'm not ignoring anyone. I do. I do definitely.
1: So watch a few Chris yeah. sprawling movies instead. Look out for Greenland, go yeah. back and watch Buried and study it. Check out The Sea of Trees. Um, gosh. And then uh, also the adaptation of St- uh, Stephen King's The Talisman. We didn't even talk about that. When is that coming out?
0: It, that could be a long time coming at this point.
1: I think we need to have you back on just so we can talk about adapting Stephen King stuff.
0: Okay. Okay. Right, fair enough. All right. Fair enough.
1: Deal. I'll read the book and then we'll have you back on.
0: Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> so that may take a long time. Um yes but not this long, not eight years like this one took. Um, okay. So thank you very much to Chris Sparling. I want to remind everybody, go to onthepage.tv. Um, I'm doing online classes and it's so funny because today's class was all about setting things up and paying them off. Oh, nice. um, <laughs> a lot of what you were talking about and also creating a, a paragraph outline. All this stuff. So, you know, we've teached some good habits on the page. You can check out the classes. The next one will be the online rewrite class. It is a four-part class at the end of May. The fourth part is with career coach Lee Jessup. So she'll be talking about the business side of it. So I'd love to see you guys there. Check it out. If anybody wants to watch anything that's already in play, you can just get in touch with me and we'll, we'll figure out how to make that happen. Thank you again, Chris. You rock. Thank you. Now you get to go out and play with your kids. That's yeah? right. That's okay. Right. All right. We're, we're you're out of the the hostage situation that is this podcast. <laughs> um, stay in touch. Let me know what's going on. Okay.
0: Yeah. Likewise. All right.
1: Thanks to Chris. Thanks to all of you for listening, and have a good writing week.